Hello and welcome to Legal Thinking, a podcast about legal issues that might affect you or your business. Today we're talking all about drones and agriculture and we're joined by Jack Rangham, who's the founder and director of Drone Ag, and Carl Selby, who's a partner at Roy Twitty King and who leads our tech and innovation sector. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Ed Wooten. Hello, Ed. Great to be here, as always. I think this was a really interesting interview and we discussed everything from AI trying to recognize hairs that are running through fields of corn yep. to neonicotinoids. To, to, to to Thank you, Ed. Roll tape. So, Jack, um, just to start off with, could you explain the difference between the kinds of drones that you work with and the ones that Ed might be gifted for Christmas, for example? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, actually, um, you know, I guess it depends how lucky Ed would be at Christmas, but uh, <laughs> um, a lot of the drones we use are actually off the shelf drones. So ah. they're the kind of thing you can go, you know, you can jump on Amazon and buy and get delivered the next day. Um, we're not talking really, really cheap ones. Um, you know, they are hundreds of pounds. Um, I think the cheapest ones that we can use are about 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, ones we tend to use often are around about the thousand pound mark. So they're by no means a cheap toy, but they are certainly very accessible to anyone. Um, the, the reason we kind of went down the route of using drones like that is because they're so widely available. A lot of farmers already have them um, and we can use our software to automate them and the cameras on them are good enough for what we need. So it kind of just made sense to, to kind of ha- lower that barrier to entry in terms of the hardware. Um, um, that and- said, we do also do drone spraying um, mm-hmm. and those drones are a lot bigger and a lot more expensive. So. So you've mentioned drone spraying, um, you've mentioned the cameras and the software you have. Can you tell me a little more about drone ag and the services you provide? Yeah, sure. So um, essentially our focus at drone ag is on um, using software to make data collection for farmers and analysis mm-hmm. um, as simple and easy to do as possible. Um, and we use drones as our kind of image capture tool because they're the things that can fly around and collect that data very quickly and easily. Mm-hmm. And then our software sits on top of that and our so- software uh, called Skippy Scout essentially automatically flies drones across farmers' fields. Mm-hmm. Um, we automatically capture images at key points in the field. Those images are then beamed up to the cloud where our analysis AI systems kick in, analyze the images looking for things like disease problems, weeds, um, is there low growth? Is the high growth at points in the field? Um, is there insect damage? Um, it measures all that and then puts that into a, a, a farmer-friendly report, essentially, which tells the farmer exactly what's happening in that field, along with precise measurements that they can then use to make decisions on what to do and when in the field. Um, and that data is provided very quickly. So from the drone capturing the data to the farmer getting that report in their hands is generally about 10 minutes. Um and that's one of our key USPs is that that speed of getting that data into the farmer's hands. And that's data they can use straight away as well. There's no interpretation needed by them, essentially. And I suppose being farmer friendly is something that's really quite important because, I mean, my grandfather is a farmer and the stereotype is that he kind of just sits in a tractor all day grumbling about stuff. So <laughs> what is um, what is the adoption level like amongst farms and farmers in general? And then do they have any kind of hesitation towards drone technology? Um, I would say there's not a hesitation towards drone technology in particular anymore. I think mm-hmm. there was in the past a little bit. There was a lot of promises by companies, you know, five, 10 years ago about what that kind of technology could deliver and the kind of those promises weren't met. But now we're a lot more mature and we know what these systems can deliver. Um, there is still, you know, a, a lot of these older school farmers, um, 
are still relatively technology adverse. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know quite a few, for instance, that don't use a smartphone, some that don't even use email and that kind of thing. Yeah, my grandfather. Um, we're, we're certainly not targeting those kind of farmers. Um, there, there wouldn't be much point. But there are a lot farmers now, especially the younger generation coming in that are very, very familiar with technology. You know, they've Absolutely. used a smartphone their entire lives and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we can, you know, our technology is very easy to use when it comes to people like that. Um, they can jump in and be using it very, very quickly. Um, I mean, it, so, yeah. it sounds like you've already answered this question, but I mean, the, the cliche with AI and technology and algorithms is, oh, they're coming for your jobs. But this sounds a lot more like farmers will use it as part of their jobs rather than them being replaced by a drone. Am I right oh, in thinking that's Yeah, correct? yeah, totally, totally. I mean, we, you know, we're not by any means trying to build a system that would replace what a farmer or agronomist or anyone mm -hmm. like that does. And to be honest, anyone that says they can, no way, not yet. It, it, there's nothing. <laughs> AI is nowhere near as that far along. Um, but what we do want to, yeah. So our idea is we, we're augmenting what a farmer and especially agronomy when it comes to that kind of thing, you know, agronomists are having to walk fields at certain times of the year a lot, and they do not have the time to get around those fields in as much detail as they'd want. So by using a drone system like ours, they can cover the fields in a lot more detail, a lot faster, get that extra information that can help them recommend to the farmer what should be done about it. You know, our, we're providing the data and the base analysis to enable agronomists and the farmers to make decisions based on that information. We're not trying to make the decisions for them. So for the millions of farmers who will be listening to this podcast, if they wanted to go out and who laughed at that? Who laughed at that? It wasn't me. I think everyone um, did. Yeah. I leave even. To, to the farmers who may be listening to this podcast, if they wanted to go out tomorrow, buy a drone or, or in fact use your services, um, what um, kind of... Do, do they need a license to be able to do that? Do they need to submit any forms to um, regulators or, or government bodies? Yeah, so in terms of buying a buying a drone these days, um, obviously you can, like I said, pick them up from anywhere, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, and typically what you need to do is with, I think any drone over 250 grams is you need to register with the CAA. Um, mm -hmm. Anyone needs to do that, no matter if it's farmer or anyone else. Um, and that's a very quick and simple online process to do. Um, if you're using it for commercial purposes, um, that's where there's a bit of a difference for us in farming. If it's a farmer operating on their own land, um, technically they don't need any kind of extra licensing. An agronomist, on the other hand, would need um, a commercial license to operate the drone, essentially, which is a generally a few an online course that takes a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, once they have the drone, they can download our app um, and essentially go out into the field um, and they can be up and running within a few minutes, typically. And Carl, have you got anything else you'd want to add to that? Uh, well, well, no, that's um, the extent of my knowledge on drone law, um, to be put as in uh, the registration uh, side of things. Um, but, you know, at the moment, it's relatively uh, straightforward to do that. And uh, as uh, Jack says, get the licenses needed to run uh, drones commercially. Um, I suppose the one thing that might change over time as more and more drones are used um, is there may well be some more regulation in that space in due course um, as you know air gets uh, more polluted with drones but I suspect over farms and countryside it's going to be uh, relatively limited risk to compared with sort of inner city use or other use where yeah um, there's a higher volume of um, potential things I'm thinking of the things like you know Amazon start sending out delivery drones um, flying things around in the sky uh, mm. again in the countryside there'll be nice and lots uh, lots of nice space between the drones not so much in central London so probably not particularly um, relevant uh, for agri use I wouldn't have thought 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's the, if the, if the, the legislation actually you know, has a divide in it, which says that certain things can be done in the rural countryside and can't yeah. be done in the city or vice versa. It's a different level of risk in the CAA, all about levels of risk and that kind of thing. So it would make exactly. sense to yeah. kind of formalize that divide a little bit, I would think. Or yeah, near yeah. airport uh, as well, as the, um, uh, the incident <laughs> at Gatwick a few years uh, highlighted. <laughs> yeah, well, technically yes. you can't operate near airports. No. Um, the, the technology is getting better at stopping that from happening as well. Um, mm-hmm. Taking it out of the user's hands so the drone just simply won't take off if it's too close to an airport and that kind of thing. Ah, um, so our, our, our software does that. It makes it has a database of all the hazards in the UK and abroad. Um, and if the user is too close to anything that's deemed as a no-fly area, whether that's an airport or a military base or anything, the drone just won't take off. So. Yeah. Jack, am I, am I right in thinking that your drones will essentially fly themselves um, once they've been put up by the, the user or are you still requiring Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we've, we've spent a lot of time um, building a, an automated flight control and flight path planning system, which will plot the route for the drone around the field, avoiding telephone wires, hills and that kind of thing. Um, had plenty of crashes perfecting that along the way. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. And, um, but yeah, no, it's working very, very well now. Um, so yeah, I mean, the user literally taps fly now on our app and the drone fly, takes off and flies the whole route itself until landing. Uh, there's no direct user control of the drone uh, at all. The user doesn't need to be there observing the drone. That's still a legal requirement, but they aren't yeah. actually flying it physically themselves. No, so, but I guess from from a sort of legal point of view, um, sorry to jump in with legal points, but no uh, you know there there is the a question of yeah, I suppose so. But um, I suppose there is a question about who's liable if that drone doesn't fly in the way that you expect it to. Um, as you say, someone's got to be uh, in its vicinity and watching it while it's flying. And yeah. I'm assuming you've built in some overrides if it, you know, looks like it's malfunctioning or whatever. Someone there's, can take there's, control there's multiple, and override. Yeah, there's multiple software overrides and systems we have in place. Yeah. For instance, it's constantly monitored if it goes outside of the field boundary. Even um, our mm. system will kick in and automatically return it to its landing point. Um, yeah. we have, so we have a lot of systems like that. Systems obviously on the drone itself monitor battery level. If the battery is getting low, it'll return to home and land or it'll descend. Um, yeah. And then the user has direct override as well. They can make it go home, they can pause the flight, or they can completely override it and take manual control. Um, yeah. And that's all in place. And yeah, I mean, our terms of conditions state that it is the user's responsibility, essentially. Um, that's why they need to be there observing the drone at the moment. Um, that's going to change in the future, hopefully. You know, we are already starting to look at what we call extended visual line of sight and even beyond visual line of sight flight, where the drones are operating without direct monitoring. Um, but there's still quite a way to go in terms of getting all the legal side and the CAA involved with allowing that to happen on a wider scale. So. Yeah, and uh, uh, the issues there will be very similar to those with sort of automated vehicles generally um, in terms of at what point do regulators in particular trust that technology to um, be safe uh, yeah. with people because, yeah. you know, a drone could. Fortunately for you, I suppose they're not, I suppose the spraying drones will be larger, but the um, information drones will be relatively small. So Yeah, you're completely have, right. It's, yeah, it's less risky. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just been an interesting one to watch that develop um, over the years. And I, I, I'm kind of quite looking forward to the day where all these things are automated and whizzing around. I kind of see it as ultimately a safer course um, because, you know, the technology will do what it's told essentially. So hopefully we'll avoid <laughs> yeah, all these exactly. incidents. Yeah. As you say, the difficult bit is training it to do that and then um, getting enough scenarios in it so that it makes the right decisions as and when it needs to. 
Yeah, but we're actually we do, we're doing a lot of that on our farm this year. So we have a what we call a nest, a base station where the drone can fly from and charge by itself. Um, and what we're building into that is essentially all these systems that are basically a decision tree. So you know, it, go, it checks: is the weather okay to fly? Is the airspace okay to fly? Do I need to fly? If the, all the answers are yes, the drone will go and do its thing and come back. Um, and the way we're doing that is the whole system is automated, but we have someone standing there with an override. Um, and we're building up flight. We're starting to build up flight hours so that we can prove that the system is operating efficiently and safely. Um, so even though there's a person there at the moment, the system is still operating pretty much autonomously. Um, and we're obviously in, improving and iterating all the time. And then hopefully we'll we'll get to the point where we have enough information and data to say we can start doing this more and what on a more widespread basis over the next couple of years. Uh, just to just to jump in, I mean, uh, there's obviously a lot of complexity in bringing the kind of drone aspects of it um, making the drones work and everything is there a particular advantage um, because there's other technology based around like satellite imaging um, and things like that is there a particular advantage to using drones over satellites that you found or that made you decide to go with kind of a drone solution um we actually i think the, the pairing of the two technologies is very powerful okay um satellites very good obviously at collecting a lot of data very quickly um over wide areas um, it's a very cheap method of data collection. Um, you know, you can even access Sentinel satellite imagery for free. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it, but what it what it can do, you know, it's it's very high up. Um, so even the most expensive satellite data at high resolution is still um, what I would call, you know, it, it still can only show where there's differences in the field, um, where there's high levels of growth versus low levels of growth, and things like that. Maybe where plants are looking a bit more unhealthy versus healthy, but it can't tell you any specifics really. Also, yeah. cloud cover is still mostly a problem. We calculated on average, we get about 100 free days of cloud a year. So that's only a third of the year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, satellite data, what it's very good at is saying when there's differences in the field. So what we do is we use that to guide where the drone then goes and scouts. We Satellite can say, look, this bit looks different. And then our drone can fly in and get those low-level imageries to see why it looks different, to measure what's there. Is it a weed patch or, or things like that? And provide that kind of evidence and measurement. Um, so the drone technology combined with the satellite technology provides a very, very powerful system in terms of a guided way of scouting. Cool. And uh, I mean, going, going to Carl, is there like, um, is there particular uh, privacy concerns to uh, drones over satellites or vice versa that might make either more preferable to, to any sort of business, you know, agriculture or otherwise, I suppose? Well, I suppose the the privacy concerns are essentially the same. It, it's how, um, from a legal point of view, if it's it's not personal data, so it doesn't relate to some living individual, yep. um, it's you know obviously less uh, regulated. Uh, if it includes personal data, then it would be in things like photographs of individuals, uh, you know, be them neighbours uh, to the land as you're uh, going around with the drone taking photographs of or images of. Um, the field that might inadvertently get caught or, you know, people like walkers, horse riders or others that are on uh, the land uh, that you're running the drone over may well uh, then lead to concern. Or, you know, if you're linking that data back to a particular farmer or a particular farm worker. Um, so, you know, if someone's got particular responsibility for a field that that information is being collected and reporting to them. There's a, you know, a, a process that needs to be followed to make sure that data is being processed in accordance with um, UK GDPR, et cetera. Sure. Um, but I think from the point of view of satellite versus um, a, a drone, 
it's essentially the same concerns. I suppose, uh, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, a drone would be more likely to have more easily identifiable images just because it's much closer to the potential data subject who might be in that image. You know, if it's coming yeah. from space, it's unlikely yeah. to pick well, up an individual but, easily. But bar the NSA um, and, and what they're doing with satellites, according to many films over the years, um, yeah, uh, well, I mean, yes, it's, it's a lot easier to identify someone with a face or a number plate and loads of that kind of stuff with drone yeah. imagery, of course. I mean, in terms of what we do, with you know, our system's just photographing crops are very close up, so the chances of us getting anyone or anything in the image like that is very low. But drones in general, yes. I mean, that, it's very easy for people to do that. Um, part of actually most of the uh, drone certification courses, mainly that's around health and safety and flying a drone safely and that kind of thing. But there is always part that covers that kind of privacy element as well. Yeah. Um, so most drone pilots are relatively well informed. It's the same as if you know, it, it's the way I see it, it's very similar to you, everyone's got a smartphone with a camera on these days. They can take photos of whatever they want. Um, in theory, it's, it's the same kind of thing, really, in terms yeah. of people flying drones. Drone has a slightly higher angle and can theory get places others can't, yes, but I would imagine it falls under pretty much the same kind of privacy in terms of law. Yeah, no, I think you're right there. And you're not going to be processing that data for any particular purpose um, other than incidental capture, I guess. You're not really interested in the people. Um, you're interested people, in the yeah, crops. It would, it would be ignored by our system. It would probably yeah. go, that's not crop. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> yeah. it's not trained to recognise that kind of thing. So yeah. even, well, even um, we have had a few photos, you know, where a, a rabbit or a hare has been running through the, oh, yeah. the frame as it's taken a photo. And all our analysis, it just appears as a black spot. Oh, okay. So, so I mean, even from a privacy point of view, that's essentially anonymizing the data if you create it as a black spot through that system. So yes, that true. in itself <laughs> is something that will be a tick in the box towards, um, you know, complying with UK GDPR, et cetera. So it sounds like, you, you know, you've got that well under control. Um, but I suppose the, the more interesting point possibly is how that data is used then by the farmer. Um, and, you know, if your systems or their systems would allow them to link that back to either actions that particular individuals had taken or particular individuals who are um, responsible for the, the crops that you're surveying so that you know you can almost monitor their performance or alert them to um issues with those crops that then need to be addressed and yeah you know, again not the most complicated um issue from a personal data point of view but something that does need to be thought through not just by you guys but obviously by your customers um, when they're using that data it's it's a really interesting one from i would say there's kind of two different angles to it one is the yeah, that individual farmer or user and their data and what they're doing with it. Um, you know, from our point of view, um, our users own the data they collect. We don't take ownership of that data. Yeah, um, we retain a bit of the right to, um, to to use that data in house for our own improvements in terms of the analysis and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but the, the end user owns their data. Um, that user they can they can set up what we call sharing users. So if they want, you know, the data they capture to be automatically shared with their agronomist, for instance, so that their agronomist can make recommendations based on what they're collecting, they can do that and that kind of thing. They can jump into the system and delete everything if they wanted to. So they do have that level of control. Um, and then the kind of other side of it is. If you go to a wider scale, um, what's really interesting with the data we're collecting is it's, you know, it, every image taken is um, time stamped and geo encoded. So we know exactly when and where that photo was taken. Um, and what that means is we can start to bring in an element of traceability. So 
what's going to come in with farming in the future, we think, is farmers are going to need to prove um, or justify why they use a certain chemical at a certain time on a certain field. And if we can provide the imagery that says, right, here's a photo of weeds in that field, in this location, on that date, then that's why the farmer sprayed, then they have that kind of justification and traceability. In there. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was just thinking um, on that, is that, so is that going to help with this all this debate around the neonicotinoids and stuff like that? Um, use and stuff like that. Potentially. Well, neonicotinoids are banned in the UK, um, yeah. which is mad considering we import a lot of oilseed rape from Ukraine where it's not banned. Um, <laughs> so it, this is one of the big problems of farming in the moment and versus imports versus things. So, so it's a big, wide yeah. conversation. But in, to, go, so to go back to what you were saying, yes, um, ideally, if we can start to, one, target where these chemicals are used better, but also then have that traceability in the supply chain there, um, that should allow farmers hopefully a bit more flexibility down the line, maybe as long as they're proving they're using them in the right way at the right time. Sure. Yeah, and I guess they can use it for targeting as well, potentially, um, Jack. So they yes, can exactly. use it where it's needed rather than, you know, the traditional blanket spray. That, that'll be the, the thing. Field. Farmers will have to prove that they've been targeting the use of them properly and not just yeah, blanket yeah. spraying. Yeah, essentially. Okay. And and talking about the future, do you see like that's obviously one uh, kind of f- future use of uh, drone ag? Is there is there any other kind of future use that you have in mind, or that you maybe people have talked? you about that you hadn't thought of such like i don't know like land valuation or are you kind of doing that already or um, um there's, there's certainly a lot of potential we, we have a new bit of technology coming in soon um which provides an, a, an overview of the drone of, of from a bit higher up essentially of much larger areas of land like multiple fields and that kind mm-hmm. of thing and that tool will be um you'll be able to do measurements uh, measure areas measure lengths you know all that kind of thing with that so when we're starting to look at farmers um you know potentially starting to real wild areas or move change around the way the farms run, maybe moving hedgerows um, to other areas of the farm and that kind of thing. That tool should provide a way to provide, kind of provide all the measurements needed and that kind of thing for that. Um, so yes, we're starting to look at it a little bit. Um, it's not our primary focus at the moment. Uh, we certainly don't have the resources to really push forward on that fast, but it's, there's, there's interest there and we know there's potential. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Carl, you, you obviously work in tech, but have a, a bit of work in kind of the, the agri sector sector as well. Do you find that um, farmers are kind of using or more accepting of tech moving forward and there's, there's more um, excitement for it, I suppose? Um, the, yes. I think uh, from looking at my uh, sort of client base in the farming world, um, there is a general move with as um Jack said uh, right at the beginning, with the younger generation coming into farming now, taking over the family farms um, and being much more accustomed to using technology in their day-to-day lives and therefore thinking, oh, I wonder if we can find something that we can use on the farm that will uh, give us the benefits that um, we see in our day-to-day life with you know, smartphones and stuff like that. And and people are becoming more and more accustomed generally just to having, you know, real-time information that is, you know, quick, easily accessible, they can make decisions with. Um, so what Jack's been talking about, you know, about instant reports being available on smartphones rather than having to wait for, you know, someone to go away, make a report, come back to you with um, the detail of um, what you need to do is going to be really appealing to that younger generation, especially if it's a kind of accessible um, price point. Because I think, uh, you know, quite often um, agricultural equipment in particular is, uh, you know, big, heavy equipment with a 
rather large price tag attached to it. Whereas, um, you know, small drones doing this sort of analysis aren't that sort of, you know, tractor level um, cost that, uh, that they have to incur. Um, so I suspect there'll be a, a bigger uptake more widely. Uh, and then as Jack says, I think, you know, from a regulatory point of view, as that technology becomes available, it, w- it won't necessarily be a choice for the farmers. They'll need some technology to be able to justify the decisions that they're making about, you know, what they're doing on land, um, how they're rearing animals or, or whatever it might be. Um, and they just won't be able to track that detail without technology to assist them to do that. So uh, it will just be a naturally um, growing space. Uh, and certainly the bigger players in the market are looking at it. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day where um, the CEO of John Deere was talking um, and their biggest, uh, the biggest area where they're investing money is in um, their data center systems, basically. So network engineers and software developers to um, develop systems that um, farmers might use off the back of their tractors to better uh, deal with data, which is, yeah. I, I sent uh, Jack, you're probably an upstart uh, in that market trying to compete with these guys. And hopefully you've got a bit of a sort of competitive I would, advantage. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't first. say, um, I wouldn't say compete too much anyway. Um, we're, um, I, we see ourselves as, you know, building systems that automate the way data is collected using drones that can be fed into those larger systems being developed by those larger companies. So we're looking to integrate yeah. with them essentially um, as much as possible. Yes. Um, I think, you know, looking a bit longer term, we have all this new technology at the moment, which is going to vastly improve farming, whether it's drones or robots or analysis data and that kind of thing. But what that all means, as you say, is we could, you know, collecting a lot more data, more and more data all the time. And that's going to go up at a very, very quick rate over the next few years. And all that data can't possibly be dealt with or analyzed by people. Um, no. So these big companies, you know, I know Syngenta, for instance, has mil- has a couple of projects, you know, that are in the millions of pounds in terms of spend just developing new AI systems. Um, and I think, you know, talking about how we're going to feed a growing population in 10, 50 years time, AI is going to be the way we do that because AI will be able to take all that data and it'll be able to say, okay, you can make your farming 50% more efficient by doing this, this, and this. Um and that'll be the way we can grow more food with less land and, and you know, in a better way and that kind of thing. Um, it'll be interpreting all that data we're collecting, but we need to be able to collect that data and organize it. And that's the first kind of step. Yeah. So uh, last thing I wanted to check was, is there any other areas that you guys would like to cover or that Carl you'd like to ask about? Yeah, well, uh, Jack, you said um, uh, before we started recording this podcast that you're very clear that the users own their data. Um, yeah. How do you see that? Um, the the data that's being collected and farmers having ownership of that being beneficial to the farmers and also how does that help you um, uh, develop your business that is that a real selling point that you're giving them access and ownership of that data um uh, yeah i'd like to think so i mean maybe not so much of a selling point as just a, a, a the right way to do things um you know farmers are becoming more aware of, of the power and value and the data they have available um we make sure that all our users own their own data so they can do whatever they want with it um we do retain the right to use that data in-house for our own improvements um but they own the data and um i think that's incredibly important i think 
there's data markets starting to pop up where farmers will be able to sell their data to other companies so those other companies can develop technology off the back of that data. Um, and that's only going to get bigger and bigger. So I think any farmers that aren't aware of it need to be very much aware of the power and value of that data they have and certainly should not be giving it away for free. No, and just from a legal point of view, the key thing there, um, if anyone is listening who uh, needs to know this, um, is that data ownership is very much a contractual relationship between you and the company that's uh, assisting you can uh, collect that data. So, um, Drone Agar um, allowing, or not allowing, that's the wrong word, but Drone Agar uh, giving that data to the right people, <laughs> in my view. Um, but that is a matter for uh, others who might not be as um, forward thinking and uh, clear about things may not be doing that and may be trying to get ownership of that data, as Jack sell, sell, says, to sell it on a third-party market. Um, and just something for people to be aware of and look out for in contracts when they're getting them through for this sort of technology that they need to understand who owns the data, um, what that uh, third party can do with the data. You know, as Jack says, they use the data for technological improvement, which is very common and makes a lot of sense because, you know, that works for everyone. Everyone wants the technology to get better, collect better data and do it more efficiently. Um, but you won't, don't necessarily want them to be able to sell that data onwards uh, and it to get used for something or you to lose the commercial value in the data from your farm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. Great. Thank you very much for your time. Where can people find out more about DroneAg? Um, DroneAg.farm um, or Skippy.farm is our software website as well. Best place to go. Um, and then reach out to the team from there. We're always happy to have a chat. Thank you, Jack. And thank you, Carl, again. One of the things that was discussed there was the privacy that was involved around collecting this kind of data and who ultimately owns that data at the end of the day. And I think that can be a really important issue as this drone technology progresses and as farms modernise for the future in general. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's always interesting with something that can fly it itself almost as well that the ai you know beyond privacy it's also just general safety concerns and all the stuff that they've had to consider with ensuring that it's safe so yeah it's, it's really interesting um uh, including it trying to recognize uh wildlife <laughs> indeed or rather its inability to recognize wildlife yeah. as we discussed that's a good thing maybe that's a future a update <laughs> Maybe a future update. You can find out more about uh, Drone Ag in our um, Ahead of the Curve magazine. Um, there's an article in, in there on that. You can uh, find it on our website. Um, and you can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, yeah, make sure to do that uh, to find out more about all sorts of legal issues that might affect you or your business. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.